0: Thank you, Tim, for that prayer supplication, and thank you so much for being flexible and still uh, walking us through the theme of Advent. And uh, and we are excited about each week as we look at different themes in preparation for the celebration of Christmas. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke as we continue walking through this uh, uh, particular rendition of the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ given to us by Luke and uh, we're going to be looking uh, in chapter 13 uh, beginning in verse 1 through uh, verse 9 this morning and let me just say as we prepare to to walk into chapter 13 that up to this point from actually from the beginning of chapter 12 verse 1 up to where we are at this point. All of this is one basic sermon Jesus started this sermon back in in chapter 12 verse 1 and, um, and So he's he'll conclude it in verse 9 of chapter 13 and we're going to look at that now the interesting thing to note is that Along the way from the time he started the, the sermon in chapter 12 till the ninth verse of chapter 13 Jesus is interrupted three times and so he he seizes upon each one of those interruptions to insert valuable teaching that, that goes along with the sermon he's, he's teaching and preaching to the people of that time. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting to you that you interrupt me or the elders as we're preaching because I'm not smart enough. I'll lose my place and have to start all over you'll get out by 1.30. So hold the questions and the comments until after the message and see me uh, out in the vestibule. We'll be happy to talk. So look at chapter 13. Let's begin reading together verse 1 There were present at that at that season and in the English standard version that would read at that very time In other words at that moment where Jesus is talking there in verse 59 of chapter 12. It says at that very time There there were some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and so that would be interruption number three. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners? And all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem I tell you no but unless you repent you will all likewise perish so Jesus in, in this portion of Luke's gospel in response to the announcement by some of the uh, people in the audience about the uh, misfortune or tragedy rather that had fallen certain Galileans um, Jesus is seizing that opportunity to confront Some bad theology that had invaded Judaism, not just in that time period, but even prior, as we'll look to. He challenges the erroneous thinking of the people. You see, at that time, people had this notion about God's judgment that was not truly biblical, was not in keeping with the character, the nature of God. And we'll look at that. But, but the thing that prompted their thoughts about judgment if you recall in my last message as we were closing out chapter 12 Jesus and commended the people for their sarcastically you might say commending the people for their ability to foretell the weather they they were completely spiritually blind to be able to, to see the the times that they were living in in other words that the fact that they, they could see the the skies and tell, oh, yeah, it's going to be rain tomorrow, you know, or it's going to be dry the next week or whatever. They could look at the sky and predict the weather, but they couldn't see the, the circumstances around them, i.e. the Son of God, the blessed Messiah, who was walking in their midst, who was, who was teaching them the, the kingdom of God principles, who was working miracles right before their eyes. And yet they were they were blind to that. Jesus used a story at the end of chapter 12 to 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 make a point about judgment, God's judgment. He used the story of a person that was obviously in debt to someone, and the two of them were on their way to to see the judge. They were on their way to the court, and and obviously the person that owed the debt was guilty. And Jesus was saying, "Don't you see? Huh? You know, can't you can't you see?" the best thing for you to do is go ahead ahead of time before you get to the magistrate before you get to the judge and certainly before you get to the warden of the prison who once you're locked in you cannot get out until you pay all your debt and the implication is there as sinners we have a debt that we can never pay off and he's saying he's using the legal system to to hold up before them the judgment of god he's basically saying every single one of you are eternally indebted to god because of your sin and once god's judgment comes upon you there is no hope there's no hope of being delivered from god's judgment settle the issue now settle your debt now settle your sin debt now through confession repentance and turning to the Messiah in faith. So this idea of judgment is settling on the people's minds. So naturally, it would cause some of the people who are listening to Jesus to think about judgment, and they would they would insert at that point, uh, hey Jesus, don't you remember or haven't you heard about that group of Galileans who went to the temple to offer their sacrifices and Pilate? Pontius Pilate, of course, we all know the villain, the Roman governor, Pilate, and his tendency to be heavy-handed and unjust and cruel and deadly. And so, obviously, some commentators and some biblical scholars tell us that the reason that the Galileans were in trouble with Pilate is because, obviously, they were in trouble with the Roman government, government, with Rome. They were probably um, rebels. They probably caused trouble, maybe had killed some Roman soldiers. And so they fled into Jerusalem and and into what they considered to be a safe, sacred haven, the temple. And there they were offering their sacrifices and Romans were not permitted to go into the temple. That was a, a, a blasphemous thing for these secular soldiers, pagans, to just come into the temple. Well, that didn't stop Pontius Pilate, obviously as he ordered his soldiers to go right on into the temple, right on into the court where the sacrifices were made, and there they slaughtered this untold number of Galileans who were offering the sacrifices. Hence, as the people said there, those Galileans whose whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. So they're basically saying at that point, now Jesus knows exactly where they're going. After all, he's omniscient, he reads their mind, he knows exactly the justification behind what they're saying here. And listen to what jesus says there verse 2 jesus answered and said to them do you suppose that these galileans were worse sinners than all other galileans because they suffered such things if the people answered the ones who brought this up if they answered truthfully they would have said you betcha that's exactly why they died obviously they were bad they were sinful and god was bringing judgment upon them and so jesus is going to correct their they're thinking on this idea of the judgment of God. He corrects the faulty teachings of Judaism on God's judgment. You know, in John's gospel, chapter nine, you may recall when Jesus and his disciples came upon a man who was blind. And, and his disciples revealed that they had also bought into this idea that God judges those who are, are sinners. In other words, that if, if, if they reversed the. The, the process if a person was su- suffering if a person had some kind of a, a, a terrible disease or if a person died tragically then they surmise from that oh that must be that must be a bad person that that's a person that's a sinner and obviously God is bringing his judgment upon them Jesus and his disciples in John's gospel chapter 9 came upon a man who was blind a man who had been blind from the time he was born do you remember the question they asked Jesus about the blind man They said, oh, Lord, uh, uh, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? The reason that he's blind. So they automatically, using the the faulty theology of Judaism of that day, surmised that the reason this man was blind because, obviously, he's a sinner. Or if he wasn't, his parents were. And that was the thinking of the people of that day. Those who were suffering or experiencing calamity or disaster was the result of of sin and and Jesus is going to correct that Dr. John MacArthur in his commentary on Luke chapter 13 he says it was the belief of many that disaster and sudden death signified divine displeasure over particular sins now holding your place in Luke let me just take you back to what is considered the oldest book of the Bible the book of Job <laughs> and so in the patriarch Job in in this this uh, godly man of, of ancient times, you know the story how God allowed Satan to inflict Job, and he lost his all his property. He lost his his family, and he was inflicted terribly with all these boils, and he was suffering. He was terribly suffering. He had some so-called friends who came to him, to came who came alongside of him, and and one of his friends, Eliphaz, there in Job chapter four, Eliphaz revealed that he was bought. He had bought into this same. A horrible systematic thinking on judgment. So listen to listen to this dialogue or not, not only not a dialogue, but just Eliphaz giving his wisdom to Job. He says in verse 7, Remember now whoever perish being innocent. Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, he's speaking from his own wisdom, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble. Reap the same by the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of His anger they are consumed. Job, oh listen, Job, listen, buddy. You say you're innocent, but come on, listen. You know as well as I do that that from ancient of times, everybody that is suffering or had some calamity or tragedy in their life, it's always been because they they are being judged by God because of their sins. Come on. Confess your sins get it out Job. I don't think we really want friends like that showing up at our doorstep when we're going through times of trouble Jesus disputed the notion that the people who suffered tragedies were suffering as a result of their uh, Sins you know here in chapter um, Chapter 13 Jesus is cautioning them Concerning in their own judgment he seizes upon that opportunity. He's talked about the the Galileans and how He emphatically rejected the idea that they were they were being judged by God because of their sins But then he also inserted in verse 4 He says he brought in uh, Voluntarily another example. He says are those 18 now We would know the 18 unless he tells us here, but the people who were around him Listening, they knew. They they remembered that another tragedy that had occurred, but not involving Galileans, but Judeans. In verse four, or oh, those eighteen on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? And and from what the uh, The writers tell us, or those who are commentators on this passage, tell us the Tower of Siloam was located on the southeast side of the city of Jerusalem. You may recall, in fact, in chapter 9 of John that I read to you there, we just looked at, we just talked about the blind man. Do you remember that Jesus made a salve out of the dirt and spit, put in the man's eyes and told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash his eyes? And he would be he would be made to see, and sure enough, he was he was healed. So the Pool of Siloam, the Tower of Siloam, there on the southeast corner of the wall of the city of Jerusalem, there probably was a construction project going on to to, to reinforce the wall, and some people who had gathered under it, uh, these Judeans, uh, the wall fell down upon them and 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 every one of them were killed and Jesus says now do you suppose they were they were worse sinners the only reason that they were killed is because they were worse sinners than all the other residents of Jerusalem and it emphatically you, and you have to see how Jesus answered he says absolutely not no that is not how the judgment of God works and so Jesus chastises them for their attitudes of, of moral superiority, as if they're standing back and said, "Well, these people got killed by pilot soldiers, and these people, yeah, the tower fell, But look, we're alive, and therefore we must be better people. We're we we have God's favor as opposed to that those that had suffered." You know, the interesting thing is as Jesus. Is chastising these people for their unbiblical ideas on judgment. He wasn't. He wasn't denying the the correlation between people's sinful behavior and the what would be considered the built-in judgments that come with that. Let me illustrate. If a person chooses to to use uh, alcohol heavily, or if a person chooses to to use illegal drugs and, and they make that a part of their lifestyle. And then suddenly they find themselves, you know, uh, under arrest. They find themselves in prison or they find themselves in a bad drug deal. And they get killed. You know, there are consequences that come along with choosing a lifestyle of sin. If a person chooses to live a wild and, 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 and you know, boisterous lifestyle, a dangerous lifestyle, and, and then they're killed in a car accident, that's, that is a natural built-in judgment that comes along. Con- there are consequences to sin. But to say simply because a person has suffered a calamity or tragedy or some terrible, you know, uh, uh, disease or something. And to say, oh, yeah, that's God judging them. Surely that's what it is. Jesus wanted to make sure he set the record straight. You know, I believe our Lord was looking down through the corridor of time in just a matter of decades. He knew that the Roman government would send their general with the soldiers of the Roman soldiers to the city of Jerusalem. He knew that they would, they would lay a siege against the walls of that massive, beautiful city, the city of David, and they would block off that. They would, they would cut off all kinds of trade and traffic to the city. Of, no one could come in. No one could go out. They would barricade the city of Jerusalem. Many, Jesus saw in his omniscient mind, he saw many of the people that he's talking to right here. And he's seeing them starving to death within the walls of the city. He's seeing many of them that would later be massacred by the Roman soldiers carrying out the judgment of the Caesar upon the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus saw also that not all of those people that would suffer were bad people. Many innocent people. Many good people would die. It wouldn't just wouldn't be just the rebels. Because you see, Jesus is letting the people know here, he's reminding them of the inevitability of death. Death is inevitable. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, he says, It is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. And so Jesus is letting them know. He said, You know, unless you repent you will all likewise perish and he's wanting them to prepare for their own judgment he's saying look you're talking about the 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 galileans and and you know about the the the, the people at the tower of uh salome fell on and and but he says you need to be concerned about your own death and your own judgment that is impending it it is, is coming jesus mercifully informs the people around him of their sinfulness knowing how god the father sees the universal sinful nature of all mankind paul reminds us of that in romans 3 23 where paul says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god when paul says all he means all He's talking about the people who are good people, moral people, charitable people, people who give and support and and are great neighbors and great family members. Oh yeah, they're good, but they're sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul would go on in, in chapter 6 verse 23 and Jesus knew this was what the people would be hearing. Jesus knew all of this. Paul would say, and the penalty of sin is death, eternal death. Paul's talking about that second eternal death, not just when our heart stops beating, not when we just stop breathing. Listen, not just when the brain activity in our, our brains ceases. Paul's talking about after your physical death, if you are not rightly related to God, your soul will die. For eternity you will be cast into the fiery pits of hell under the judgment of God and you'll be very conscious and alive and you will suffer and you will suffer for eternity suffering a spiritual death. It's called the second death. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. He's saying listen don't be so concerned about pen and judgment on other people be very aware of the fact that you're gonna die one day and for most of you he didn't say this sooner than you think and are you ready are you ready it's not a matter of if I'm gonna die it's a matter when I die and when I die am I ready to stand before the Lord in judgment And the formula that Jesus inserts there, and I like the idea that we, we went back in our worship guide and, and, and picked up on that in our articles of belief, talking about, and Brother Mark was leading us to read in that, about the importance of understanding the significance of repentance. Repentance. We confess our sins to God, which is basically agreeing to the Lord. Yes, I am a sinner. And every one of us, if we truly were saved, we came to a point in our life where we acknowledge the fact that, wait a minute, God is holy and I'm not. I am a sinner. And I confess, Lord, I have sinned. I have been living a life of sin. And, Lord, I confess it to you. But the next step is repentance. Theologians tell us that repentance is a radical change of mind and that's what Jesus is saying Jesus was saying this at the beginning of his earthly ministry John came preaching the same thing you know repent have a radical change of your mind as it regards sin your own sinfulness in the presence of holy God repent I like how dr. Bobby Welch in his faith uh, evangelism training talks about repentance he says, you know, it's like you're driving down the road and somebody riding with you asks you to, to, to turn. What are they asking you to do? They're asking you to turn around. You're heading in one direction to turn around. He says repentance means to turn. First of all, to turn from something, to turn from self and to turn from sin you do an about face 180 degree turn where you were walking in the direction of, of sinful disobedience you turn in the directions of holiness and righteousness you turn your back on sin he says it, it is to turn your back on yourself and turn your back on your sinfulness but also there's a second part to repentance he said it's also turning not just from something but to someone and that is Jesus Christ the Son of God and him alone because Jesus made it clear in John 14:6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one. It doesn't matter how religious they are. It doesn't matter which religion they follow. It doesn't matter how smart or popular they are. No one comes to the Father but by me. So repentance is having a radical change of mind regarding sinfulness and, and and the holiness of God, turning from self and sin, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and humbly submitting oneself to the Lordship of Christ to be a child of God. As we talked about in our Christian growth group lesson this morning, the, the wonderful privilege that's bestowed upon us as as. as as Christians is the fact that we are adopted into the family of God. We were spiritual orphans like Adam and Eve after they rebelled against God. And suddenly now, under the conviction of our sins and our repentance, we have been adopted into the family of God as children of God, as heirs of the kingdom of God, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we are made to be servants of the Lord, willing, loving servants who willfully and gladly obey God. Our father, just as Jesus modeled in his earthly ministry. And Jesus is saying to these people, he's saying, listen, don't be so preoccupied with the fate of other people. Be concerned about your own future, your own relationship with God. And now repent. Turn. And then Jesus moves from that very pointed lesson on judgment. To a parable that kind of reiterates that picking up in verse 6 I want you to see Jesus teaches a parable of God's judgment and yet hand in hand God's mercy and this is the conclusion of his message you know me and the other elders we get to a point and say and one last thing and finally one more thing you know it's like one kid sitting in church and telling the other pre- the person because he noticed the preacher looking at his watch and the little guy says, Hey, you know what it means when the preacher looks at his watch? And the other guy, the little boy said, No. The other fellow said, Absolutely nothing. So, <laughs> so when we say, Well, one more point, and as I close, you say, yeah, Right. Well, Jesus is basically saying, and, and, and as I close, the sermon that I started back in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. But he stuck to his word. In verse 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree, a fig tree. We're not talking about a grove, we're talking about a tree. He planted uh, in his vineyard. Vineyard is where we typically go to pick grapes. And so it's obviously good soil, uh, fertile, good place. If you want to, if maybe this man had all the grapes that he ever could use and sell and whatever, but he just said, you know, I could really—I I just taste a good ripe fig. I'm gonna plant me a fig tree. I—I'm I, just—I'm I'm kind of taking liberty here because I did very much the same thing probably about six years ago. I, I just—I heard my brother-in-law talk about his fig tree. I ate a few figs. I said, "Yeah, they're sweet. I like that. i, I like to plant a fig tree." If you come to my house in the spring and summer, you'll see my fig tree. It's big. I mean, it's boosted out, big green leaves. I mean, it's healthy looking. The only problem is I'm like this man. I went to my fig tree in the season that should be barren. I looked on the top branches. I looked under the bottom branches. I separated the limbs. You know, if I can use old Roxburgh language, nary one fig. So I can understand this man's frustration. So my grandson, Asher, cut it down, right? Asher, he's out there. I said, cut that thing down. Actually, we were just pruning it for the winter. But you know, I, I I did that with a little bit of judgment in my voice. Cut that thing down to the ground, anyway. So if anybody's got any secrets on how to make a fig tree bear, come see me. But okay, back to the back to the relevant text here. So he planted a fig tree in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and it and it found and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, this is a gentleman that was the tending the property, tended the, the vineyard. Look, for three years, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Have you heard that before? <laughs> Why does it use up that ground? But he, this would be the, the keeper, answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year, and also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. In this parable, you see the relationship of the nation of Israel, Jehovah God, God the Father, and God the Son. You see, God will hold us accountable for the fruitfulness of our lives. And from the time that God, just like that owner, put that fig tree in a favorable position, it had everything it needed to bear fruit. God placed Israel in a favored ideal position in a covenant relationship with the God of the universe. And, and, and they were in a position to, to bear forth fruit, to please God, spiritual fruit. Folks, let me tell you something. That's not just an Old Testament concept. Read chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. Where Jesus says, if, if, uh, if I abide in you and you abide in me, he says, any man that abides in me and I abide in him, that man shall bear forth much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And later in that chapter, verse 8, he, Jesus goes on to say, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God was looking for fruit of faithfulness. God was looking for fruit of worship. God was looking for fruit of love and adoration and obedience from his people. (coughs) Excuse me. But when he went there, there was none. I don't know if you noticed in your worship God, this morning, In our responsive reading, Tim inserted Isaiah chapter 5, and Isaiah portrayed the relationship between God and Israel as as between a, a landowner and his vineyard. The landowner planted this vineyard, tended it, cared for it, and all. He got was instead of good, cultured, sweet, delicious grapes, he got probably nasty, sour, wild grapes. You see, even as as we we were talking about Isaiah, some 700 years before Christ, Isaiah saw that relationship between God and the people of God, Israel. God didn't just give them the favor to be called the people of God so they sit back, look pretty, and get fat. No, God intended for them to function in a covenant in which he would protect them and provide for them and bless them, and they would bring forth fruit of faithfulness. And it didn't happen. (coughs) Excuse me. So in this parable, the certain man would be God. God. And the the keeper would be the Lord Jesus. All through the Old Testament, time and time again, when God has gone to his people to find the fruits of faithful spiritual uh, relationship, he was finding nothing. By the end of the Old Testament, it appears as God is ready to do this whole tree in. And the keeper said just just give me one year give me one more he interceded he's interceded on behalf of this this tree rather than dig it up throw it away let me let me do my thing let me aerate the soil around it let me fertilize it in other words just give it some special care folks is that not what the Lord Jesus Christ did for three years in the, in the midst, probably when God the Father was ready to say, I'm, I'm done with them. By the end of Malachi, Jesus is saying, let me have access to them. I'll go and I'll, I'll teach in their midst. I'll teach the wonderful principles of the kingdom of God. I'll reveal your many attributes and what a loving God you are and a gracious God you are. Oh, I'll work miracles in their midst. I'll show them that you have the power over diseases and you have power even over death. But don't overlook verse 9 where the tender says, and if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Even when Christ came in the midst of the people as Emmanuel, as God with them, and he aerated the soil of their hearts with his teachings, and he fertilized it with the beautiful, powerful miracles of grace and yet what happened as a whole as a whole as a nation they rejected him not only that they killed him Jesus in interceding wasn't saying there would be no judgment tragically for the majority of the Jews beginning with their religious leaders not only did they reject him but they killed him and of course we know the nation of Israel came under the awful judgment of God. Every one of us, figuratively, symbolically speaking, are planted in a favorable position in the vineyard of God. Every one of us are given the privilege and the opportunity to invest our lives into our relationship with God and to bear fruit every person every person on the face of the earth but those who choose to reject Christ those who choose to to live for themselves and for their own possessions and their own pleasure and comfort and neglect bearing fruit with their lives there will come a day there will come a day the very one who says listen if not then cut them down that's that's bold judgment but that very one who said those words will be the one who will be sitting on that great white throne of judgment looking at the, the rebellious unfruitful souls of people one at a time who come before him with a million excuses every one of them and he'll look through his burning eyes deep into their soul and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. They will be cut down and cast into the fire of God's wrath and judgment, and they will burn and burn and agonize and scream, and there'll be no relief forever and ever. Folks, judgment, God's judgment is just as real as death is. And to try to blindly, ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist out there god help the preachers who dare stand in pulpits of churches across this land and refer to the bible and make some flimsy excuse as to why hell doesn't exist listen the fires are being kindled even higher for them they will be held accountable so the question i ask myself Recognizing that I have been given a favorable position as a Christian. I'm talking as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, an adopted child of God, a faithful servant of the Lord, or wanted to be a faithful servant of the Lord. But I'm just saying, the priority of my life as a follower of Christ is not get rich, have things, be powerful, be, be popular. Listen, that's nothing. That is nothing. It carries no weight in eternity. The only thing that matters is that the Lord looks at my life and he sees the spiritual fruit coming forth, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the the self-control, all of that. And God is partaking of the fruit that comes from my life. Where are you? In the eternal scheme? In relation to God's judgment do you know that you know that you know that as a child of God you are exempt from the judgment the wrath of God folks I'll tell you something that is probably the most the greatest source of peace at the deepest level of my soul that I have my peace doesn't come from what decisions are made in Washington or any other capital of any other world, nation of this world. My peace doesn't come from the stability of our economy. My peace doesn't come from what's going on out there in society. The deepest level of my peace is to know that I belong to Jesus Christ. I am a child of God. And not if I die, but when I die, I won't have to die with the fear of knowing or face the judgment of God. But because of my faithfulness, because of my fruitfulness, i will have a master who will say well done good and faithful servant enter into the kingdom let's pray heavenly father we thank you that you don't hide anything from us that is relevant to our lives on this earth as your people lord you speak the truth and always have been because you are truth and lord you don't sugarcoat the things of god sure you reveal your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness and all of that lord the fact is you are a holy god and you take sin very seriously and i pray lord that through these simple words of these this parable and and this portion of the lord's message your message lord that you will speak to our hearts that you will wake us up lord to what should be the priority of our lives on this earth until the day you call us home and Lord, I pray for anyone that has yet to even take that step of faith to confess their sins, their sinfulness, and to repent of their sins and to turn to Jesus Christ by faith, Lord, so that they can begin this wonderful life of being a faithful, fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. We just trust it to you. You know the needs, Lord. Not only are the people in, present here this morning, but even those online. And we pray, we pray, Lord, looking at ourselves first and foremost, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mark, if you'll come, please, and close our service as the Lord leads you. Thank you.